and we are live with the Living the Guide Life today, and beautiful day in Minnesota. Finally started to get a little bit of rain where we're at, which is much needed, and other than that, we're uh, we're just living the dream. We got game fair coming up, not this weekend, but next, so I hope to see everybody there. Um, we're going to have a booth for our outfitter. And uh, we'll just be hanging out. Got the dog there. Got hopefully um, our merch will be there, but might be for the second weekend. Um, I know we got a bunch of stickers and a bunch of bunch of fun guys coming to hang out. So might even just do a podcast there as well. So kind of just watch out for that. And we might uh, be bringing some people on for that. But Today, we are brought to you by Chase and Foul Outfitters, like I said. Going to be at Game Fair, so make sure to check us out. Weekends are booking up quick. We are down to our last weekend of early goose. So, make sure to get on top of that. Um, You're not going to want to miss out, and it's going to be a really good year. A lot of wheat where we're at, a lot of sweet corn where we're at, and... We're getting a lockdown, baby. So, uh, yeah, check that out. I'll give uh, Bourbon Media a quick minute here. If you're a small business owner in the outdoor industry, we get it. The words digital marketing can be intimidating. You're a grunt work, sweat it out, bust your chops kind of person who's addicted to progress and put all of your time and energy into operating your business. We at Bourbon Media can help you push it even further. We're digital marketing experts. I'm talking web development, content creation, social media management, SEO, paid advertising, the whole nine yards. And as fellow outdoorsmen, we know the industry. Keep your business up to date and expand your reach with digital marketing that is directed at your core market. We are Bourbon Media. Cheers to progression. And that wraps things up for Bourbon Media. Um, and also, we are brought to you by Pacific Calls. So. If you didn't watch that last giveaway, if you didn't enter, don't worry. We're going to have another one here soon. Um, they've been awesome. Trevor's been a huge help with uh, getting those calls in line. And I think we are also possibly going to have some of their calls at the booth. So if you want to check those out, um, make sure to come talk to us and Ask how we like to blow them and all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, we'll give you the rundown there. They will also be at Game Fair, so make sure to run over to their booth. Um, I'll be there hanging out a little bit um, when I'm not currently at our own booth. But, yeah, make sure to check them out. They're going to be bringing tons of calls. They are also coming out with their new Nick J series call. Um, It's a one-piece call. You can slip the guts out. No problems. And, uh... It's bad to the bone, man. You guys are going to want to make sure to check that out, and you're going to want to make sure to get that thing ordered when it is at Game Fair. It drops on Game Fair. Um, They've been doing a bunch of stuff to it, and, uh, yeah, it'll be a great time for everybody, so uh, make sure to get that uh, checked out. Also, today we are brought, we are honored to have on Adam Foss, and Adam Foss is... The real deal Holyfield of sheep hunting. This dude is the man. He lives up in British Columbia and 
he lives and breathes sheep hunting. Um, a mountain hunter by blood and has done work for the Wild Sheep book, um, which is such a neat book, presented by Yeti. And he did a bunch of work on that. Also, he's done a bunch of other projects for Sitka Gear and did a bunch of testing with their sleeping bag. And he's just in the field nonstop and busier than hell, um, which was a big honor to finally catch him on a time where he could come talk. So you guys are really going to enjoy this one for our big game hunters and even people looking to get into the mountains that have never been there before, because like he says, even if you're not hunting, it's all about the experience on getting up in there, doing all the work and being places that nobody's at. So I hope you guys really enjoy this one. And we are live with Living the Guide Life today, and we have Adam Foss on, who is the co-founder of Foss Media and is a photographer, filmmaker, writer, and brand ambassador for some of the top hunting and outdoor brands in the industry. So, Adam, how are we doing? Big shoes to fill with that intro there, buddy, <laughs> but um, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. Doing pretty damn good. It's oh, good to be alive. Oh, exactly finally uh able to have you on exciting to get you on that's right i'm in uh, amongst wildfire smoke here up in canada in bc yeah and getting ready for the season and keyboard warrioring too many emails <laughs> i can we imagine did it. yeah i yeah i mean we're even having a bunch of smoke come down through from canada in minnesota i bet yeah i bet we're on fire everywhere, but, um, which is quite unusual. I mean, usually Western Canada, where I'm at in British Columbia, we'll get fires. Alberta will get fires in generally speaking, central to Eastern Canada. Yeah. Doesn't get a ton of fires, but I think there's a huge one in Manitoba and I'm just watching the news that, you know, they're sprinkled all throughout the country, which is a little bit abnormal, especially, I mean, it's only the third week of July and it's, no rain in sight for the west out here yeah so we're gonna get into august and it's gonna continue unfortunately so we're in it yeah it's not a good deal i mean even over here it's super dry like all of our prairie potholes are bone dry just super weird like i've never seen anything like it yeah yeah it's unprecedented no doubt and i mean we're heading out to montana on uh well saturday morning and the amount of fires even out there I was looking at is just insane. Yes, it is. Whereabouts are you guys headed? So we're going to go to Ennis as our first stop and do some cool. fly fishing. And then awesome. run up through Missoula and then go up to um, Glacier and just keep fly fishing. Nice. So, yeah. Good for you guys. Yeah, it should be a really good time. Yeah. The 60-mile rift pool or whatever they call it, the Upper Madison. Yeah. South of Ennis. Beautiful, yeah. beautiful water. Oh, it's unbelievable. And I mean, we, we went there last year and had an awesome time. That was my second year last year going there. And I just, I love it down there so much. Such a cool place. I just got back. I was, it is, I was just down in big sky for the total archery challenge. Oh yeah. 
and smoke was okay. It actually rained and then it kind of knocked all the smoke out of the sky and it was really, really nice, hmm. but variable just depends on which way the wind's going and yeah, what's happening. So hopefully, hopefully I wish you, I wish you clear skies yeah. and tight lines. Absolutely. How was the archery challenge? Those things look so cool. It was fun. I don't really do those. I would never consider myself target archer. I haven't been to a whole lot of 3d tournaments or anything like that. I've done, Two of them. One was Big Sky, I think, in 2015 or 2016. Okay. And then this one. And they are a surprising amount of fun. I mean, you think of it as a little bit more competitive and people are taking it super seriously. And that's just not the case. It's so casual. You can walk up and shoot any target you want at any distance. It's a fun atmosphere there's new people there's experienced people there's people busting arrows there's people 12 ringing stuff and yeah it's just really 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 fun and um really brings the hunting community together in a, in a unique way where hunting is sort of a individual or small group activity especially big game hunting probably not as much waterfall hunting which is one of the cool things about waterfall hunting to my understanding not that i do it really yeah but it's nice to bring people together and and shoot the shit and fire some arrows and it's so unpretentious compared to what you would maybe think of it and so i would encourage anyone that's considering doing it to do it whether i mean we shot with people that had just literally just been shooting a bow for a few days um before and, and were willing to come try so it's it's a fun environment yeah yeah it seems like it i mean all the videos and photos i've seen of it, it looks like it's a pretty good time and then Sika Gear in Bozeman was opening their store, the Sika yeah, Depot. I saw that. So we were down for that. Well, that was really cool to see in person. Yeah. And, uh, and they kind of just lifted travel restrictions for us in Canada here, basically on the 5th. So just a couple weeks ago. So we said, mm-hmm. yeah, let's do it. We were rolled down there. Yeah. And had a great time. Had a great time. Yeah. How'd that affect your entire year with being in Canada? I mean, do you do most of your hunting up in BC? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I put in throughout the lower 48 for different states, but I kind of just accumulating points because yeah, very challenging to get a whole lot of tags. But um, yeah, it was interesting. We were really fortunate. So our regional health district where I live in central BC in a town called Kelowna, they basically said you can travel within your regional district and um into into neighboring districts that don't have like kind of higher cases they basically just didn't want people going back and forth to a high population density centers which ours wasn't really so yeah the province of british columbia you don't know it is huge and it takes about 24 hours to drive from the northwest corner to the southeast corner it's gigantic a lot of people don't think of it as they think of northern bc as is like central bc and then they don't really remember that there's so much territory just north of that and then the hunting opportunity in british Columbia is just phenomenal for big game it's gonna hunt i don't know 11 or 12 species of big game over the counter i can list them but i'll probably get them all wrong you can hunt over the counter you can hunt don't cheat big corn sheep goats those elk deal deer white-tailed deer cougar did i say moose already i think i did um I don't think you mentioned moose. There's black-tailed deer, uh, like other, like lynx and bobcats. Yeah. Um, Jeez, mm, that's a ton. 
or whatever that is. Caribou, Mount Caribou. Oh wow. That's so awesome. yeah, there's just more there's more opportunity than you could really skin a cat with if if you're into it. And and we were we were going we were going hard and you know, spent lots of time up north doing some really cool trips with some some great people. And it was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. Rolled right along. So yeah, no complaints. Yeah, that's sweet that you can buy all those tags over the counter. Yeah, don't tell anyone. Yeah. It's basically like Alaska, right? I mean, it's like the resident opportunity is quite good. And that's why people, if you're into hunting, you can move to a place where you have that opportunity. Um, and yeah, we're fortunate enough that we live here. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, I put in for the preference points for like elk and stuff over in Wyoming. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it can be it can be tough on certain areas that you go. Or like mm-hmm. even Montana, you can't even, they don't even have preference points. It's all the lottery deal. Well, Montana actually do have points, but places like Idaho, New Mexico, Alaska do not. Oh, okay. Probably missing some, but um, yeah. I might it have can mistaken be a that yeah. And there's a lot of people that are putting in too. There's a lot of point creep with people that automatically put in for a bunch of tags. And it, uh, yeah, I mean, the hunting's, being more and more popular which is great i mean it's cool to see people engage in the activity and especially like western hunting mountain hunting it's yeah it's grown a lot and um yeah it's a little bit different it's just a little bit different in the sense that hunting can be like an outdoor pursuit that's mentally and physically challenging that's about traveling to a unique place that's about being self-sufficient in the backcountry and then the hunting part is sort of the background element and the thing that gets you there but not really just about um about the actual deal if you are even able to make one it's uh it's kind of the whole deal so yeah it's fun to see it's fun to see from my perspective yeah the whole experience in itself Hundred mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's something i want to get up and do like a mountain hunt because i got my elk and mule deer preference points that i've been saving up and so i'm super excited about that but i'm just used to cool. waterfowl hunting and i mean whitetail hunting so you're not up in the mountains or anything like that and so that's just a whole different ball game. Yeah. You'll like it. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be a, it'll be a life-changing experience. You'll either, it's a really good quote about sheep hunting, which is you're either a sheep hunter at the onset after your first time, or you're not, you'll never be caught dead on another sheep mountain again. And that's pretty true. I'd say it's somewhat same for, you know, Western hunting. You'll either love it or uh, maybe never be caught dead doing it again. Yeah. And I think, I think it'll be the former. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And how did you get into hunting and the media side of things and writing and all this brand ambassador stuff? How did that all kind of collide for you? Good question. I grew up doing it. My dad, super avid archery hunter, grew up in Southern Alberta. Mm. And so we had the opportunity to hunt bighorn sheep over the counter every year in an archery only zone. So I just, Grew up there, dad and brother. It evolved. I always had an interest in photography. I took photography class in high school and was realizing it's going to a lot of really cool places. And so I wanted to bring a camera. And at the time it was it was a black and white film photography class that I was taking. Yeah. And I was probably 13 or 14 years old and just took photos from these places that I went to. And Loved hunting, got to go on some cool trips, 
studied environmental science in university and sort of had like a passion for wildlife and the outdoors and um, the way that they interact and took that as a line to kind of be working towards some kind of career and hopefully in the outdoors or at least at least working with wildlife in some way and uh of course as life would have it i ended up um working for a marketing agency that worked for different hunting and fishing brands at the time that was just exploding i mean it was just kind of nuts to see this is this is back in 2010 yeah. or so so sicko was a few years old and a bunch of different other brands were kind of coming into the scene and uh honestly just rode the wave man it's kind of uh it's a pinch me sort of thing right now yeah. in the sense that i still don't believe that we get to do what we get to do and i work with my wife frankie and so we get to do it together and she's a producer and a photographer and plays it up a bunch of different roles in the business and um it's pretty damn cool it's really cool we're yeah. really lucky we get to work with a lot of really really talented people and a bunch of great companies and do some work that matters to us we get to work with nonprofits and conservation organizations and tell some stories that we are passionate about and it kicks ass yeah yeah i saw that wild sheep book that you did for yeti that's sweet i haven't read it but like just by looking at your photos and everything like that it seems really cool oh appreciate it that was really fun yeah we worked with again a lot of really talented people and it's really cool that a brand like yeti even wants to make something like a coffee table book in this day and age of digital content yeah. and Instagram story and TikTok, which I don't even understand how that works <laughs> that they wanted to make a book. Yeah. Was really cool. And so, yeah, I got to work with the guys at Telweg on that guys at Yeti 25 or 30 different photographers, oh, much wow. great writers. And it was really cool. And it was awesome. It was like super fortunate to come across our plate when it did too, because we were, we were locked, everything was locking down and we were yeah. working on it remotely. And it was just a cool project to sink into. We didn't really get to travel and interview and shoot stuff probably as much as we would have liked, but mm. it was, it was super cool to just have that. And I just love that. I mean, I just love reading hunting books and from a historical standpoint or even a contemporary one, I just love just yeah, anything like, hunting related especially as a kid and now into my adult life just like consume it um and so to have a little bit of a book done and contributing to it was super cool and uh, i'm super passionate about sheep for sure yeah and uh it was sort of a dream it was a dream project dude it was freaking awesome yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah that that books looks like it kicks ass that's for sure. Thanks. Yeah. And what was your favorite? We... Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, what was uh, one of your favorite stories you did for in that book? Yeah, that's a good question. And the books, I don't know if you saw it or if you're a fly, fly angler. They did a book. Oh, sorry, you broke up there. You good? Yeti did its first book called Tarpon, which is all about tarpon fishing. Okay, yeah. Down 
sort of like Southeast. And they had this, um, they had a sort of template. So they had uh, forward and then four essays and supporting photography. And then a bunch of really cool black and white portraits of different guides and anglers and people throughout the industry. And so we've, because this is the second book in the Yeti Presents book series, we followed that template and that um, same style and page numbers. So we wrote four stories and the most natural way to break it up was by species. There's four big game, um, I'm sorry, four species of wild sheep yeah. in North America. So stone sheep, bighorn sheep, desert bighorn sheep, doll sheep. And so it naturally made sense to kind of break it up, but we sort of had a huge list of stories that would be great candidates, but we wanted to kind of represent uh, a few different angles. And so you have a guide story that about Al Clausen, who's a lifelong guide up in, he guides in the Northwest Territories, but he lives in the Yukon, mm. which, which was really, that was the first one that was just cool. And I just think a lot of the sort of humility and hard work of a guide who just does it because he loves it. I mean, at that age, I think he's into his late fifties or early sixties now, even though he looks like you can wow. see the photo of him in the book. He's got his shirt off. He looks like he can bend it in half. <laughs> and so that was really cool. We did the stone sheep one was a story about a woman named Anna Vorsek who got into hunting later in life and was the first archery grand slammer of sheep. Um, but it wasn't about that. It was more just about her personal story of hunting and kind of what it means to sheep hunt. Yeah. And then we did a story about the reclamation or sort of restorance of sheep country in Nevada um, from the native band there and kind of what the sheep meant to those people. So that was kind of a different, a different angle. Hmm. Um, that was just really cool too. And then the last but not least was the bighorn sheep story, which is about the unlimited units in Montana, which are units that you can hunt over the counter um, with a bit of a catch. There's, a couple of um, quota only for the unit. So you, many, as many people can buy the tag as they want, but only depending on the unit, one to two sheep can get killed and you have to call in via satellite phone or satellite texting device to figure out the quota still open. And uh -huh. this whole cool subculture of just like, I mean, it's from a, from a success rate. It's the lowest success rate sheep hunt in North America. It's probably the lowest success rate hunt in North America. Uh, you could fact check me on that, but. Wow. It's yeah. just really cool. And it takes place in, in some really rugged, really remote part of the mountains in kind of southern, southeast, well, no, sorry, southwest Montana. And so that was really cool. So they're all sort of really diverse. Yeah. And, and then I wrote the forward, which just sort of was trying to tee up this world of, of diverse people, which are guides and outfitters and pilots and people up in Canada, all the way down to Mexico and people that buy governor's tags and people that you know, our total bear pegs. And it was, yeah, that was sort of the goal just to give a little bit deeper insight into sheep hunting. And so I answered your question with like a three minute response that yeah. basically didn't answer it at all, but I just liked them all because I think that they were trying to kind of show a different aspect. Paint. Yeah. And painted in different colors of this yeah. picture of sheep hunting. And so that was with intention and I wouldn't, I wouldn't sort of pick one out of it because they all they kind of 
they stand alone, but they also support each other in that you're kind of just wrapping your mind around um, what this idea of sheep hunting means. And a bunch of great photographers that were willing to submit their photography to really visually support that. And an awesome artist out of BC. Yeah. Named Casey that uh, did some of the drawings and things like that to kind of give it a little bit more artful taste and put it together and have a book, I guess. And there you go. That easy. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> that is really cool. And for the, you were talking about the Montana quota. Um, mm-hmm. What if somebody like bowl shot one at the same time? Yep. It does happen. It's quite rare, but it does happen. And at that point they'll close the unit. But, but I mean, you're talking about, it's a needle in the haystack anyway. Yeah. It's not, there just isn't that. And it has to be legal rams too, right? So it has to be a three quarter curl ram. So it can't just be any ram. Yeah. So in the unit, there might be, I'm just going to guess, but there's only a handful of legal rams so it'd be almost impossible for all of them to get killed all on the same day mm. although it does happen sometimes and usually what they will do is let's say the quota is two and they kill three they might take the quota next year and knock it back to one. Oh, okay so then they'll sort of manage that based on the acceptable harvest um but it, it's pretty rare because it just it just doesn't uh yeah it just doesn't have the density it's super rugged the sheep are hard to find and it's a, it's a needle in a haystack type of deal. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I mean, we were out and I was working out on my buddy's ranch out in like Winifred, Montana. And cool. we were like searching for sheep one night. And it's like, sometimes you'll pop right up next to them. Like we walked over a cliff and they were like 30 yards right there. Just like seven yeah. huge rams. And we're like, Oh my God. And then some nights you'll look all over the place and you'll never see one. Yeah. They're a little bit ghosty. They live in the timber there and move, move a decent amount, I think. And it's just a rugged place to live in. You know, all that stuff is, is nine and 10,000 feet and higher in elevation. Yeah. And they just, th- there is enough food for them to, to be there, but they just don't, it's just not a super bustling population of sheep. Like you might find maybe in Southern Alberta, Mm. or other places with big horns that just are really flourishing. It's sort of a more limited, um, just a limited number of sheep. And so it's a cool, it's a really cool hunt. Yeah. And so they're living up in the timber up there. Cause that's kind of a, do they mostly live in like that kind of stuff? Cause when we were looking at them, it was like all in like the breaks off the Missouri river. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So- that, that's those would be totally, I mean, those are almost be like a different species. Oh, really? Okay. The, the, the brakes, I mean, they're not, but yeah, but the brake sheep are way they're different. Just sheep. Pound, yeah. They're just genetically different. Their yeah. groceries are way different. They have tons of feed. Um, and these sheep, yeah, I mean, I think they, they will move from the open to the timber, but I think like all animals, they kind of might feel the pressure and they'll dip into the timber and be sort of moving back and forth mm-hmm. on the timber line and out in the open too, but it's just, yeah. uh, yeah, it's different. It's very different. Those breaks sheep. I bet the breaks sheep born and body size are going to be anywhere from 20 to 30% bigger, just bigger. I mean, you see those pictures of those breaks sheep and they're just super heavy and big bodied. And these sheep are smaller bodied, smaller horn. And that's probably, I'm not a biologist and that's probably a genetic difference. Yeah. And it's definitely, it's definitely a, uh, groceries difference. I mean, just the inputs and harshness of winter too, right? I mean, so those 
sheep, some of them winter up high elevation, some of them there's sort of two different herds and one slips down to a lower elevation, but even still the, the winter is going to keep those sheep in, in check, kind of just barely peeking through the winter and, and early spring as opposed to those brakes rams are going to have an easier time and pack on more weight, and pack yeah. on more horns. And you could see a six or seven year old ram that's 185 or 190 inches in the brakes. Whereas in the unlimited, you'll, you'll almost never see a sheep bigger than 175 inches, like max. Oh, wow. So it's a different, different deal, but, um, yeah. both awesome animals and that's the cool thing about sheep too is they sort of they live in so many different places and they've extended out to the four species of sheep went from from alaska down to the southern tip of of the baja of mexico i mean there's sheep basically where there's steep places there's a chance that there might be sheep not everywhere of course but um they live in diverse places yeah down in mexico they, they can basically live with out any rain like zero like one day of rain a year um, oh, wow. They can live in really wet mountain ranges like the Chugash or something in Alaska. I mean, they kind of can't live as wet as mountain goats, generally speaking, but, and then they can live in a somewhere like the breaks or like the black badlands, like North Dakota or the Rockies of Alberta um, and everywhere in between. And so most people, they, they kind of have like some sort of emotional reaction to a sheep. Like they've seen one or, or they've seen on, um, National Geographic sheep butting heads or something like that. And they're a pretty semen person. There's a pretty just like dramatic, memorable experience. You just kind of have a special, special regal way about them. And uh, yeah, I mean, as you can tell, hopefully you ever get your hands on a copy of the book or people that might be listening that have it. The people that follow that world are, they get pretty hooked on it. And I'm one of those people and just lucky enough to be called a sheep hunter. Yeah. Oh, I hear it. Yeah, I mean, when we saw those sheep, I mean, we even watched some like just scale the mountain, and they scaled in like five minutes, and that was like the coolest thing ever. Takes yeah. us like three hours to climb up this thing, and they're just like, oh yeah, jumping up. Totally, yeah. They make you feel pretty humble because <laughs> you watch them walk away, and and mountain goats are like that too, and maybe even more so than sheep. But you'll watch them go up something and look at it. And then two days later, you're still climbing it. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. They go. Oh, exactly. yeah, that's really cool. What's... Maybe you'll see some down in Montana when you go, because they'll, they'll hang out there down in that valley a decent amount, probably more in the winter. They'll push down in those sage flats, but yeah. Um, and it's been hot. So they kind of like to keep it probably only moving early and late and hanging out in the shade a bunch. But uh, yeah. Hey, you never know. They're there. Yeah. Yeah. We saw some when we went out through the Badlands last year. Cool. And so, yeah, probably go see those again. That's awesome. But yeah, now what's your favorite sheep to hunt? Like what? Oh, man, that's, that's such a good question. I mean, I, I like the part of the hunt is so much more than, than just the, the actual animal themselves. Although that is a part of it. It's, the style of hunt and, and where they live is such yeah. a big part. And, and so I just kind of really enamored by it's like being in, in as wild and remote a country as possible. And so usually you end up following the species that live in those places. Like here in BC, we have stone sheep hunting, which are, which are the, they sort of, they broke up the four species. There's there are thin horn sheep, which are doll sheep and stone sheep. Okay. Um, and the actual technical 
technical name is Stones, like Stone, apostrophe S, named after Andrew Stone, who kind of was the first non-native person to discover them or see them and name them after himself, mm. as people did. And then the bighorn sheep sort of are like bighorn and then desert bighorn. So stone sheep here in BC, they just live in, they live up north, they live in really cool uh, mountains. And generally speaking, they're living in such remote places that you don't see a ton of people. And that style of hunting is really cool. Or, you know, you do like a fly in hunt or, mm. um, you know, you can walk in off the highway or something like that. And that's just really, really cool. And doll sheep in like Alaska, the Northwest Territories, the Yukon, same kind of thing. You're just really sort of getting out there. So I'm kind of in love with the stone sheep hunting in that way. And then I grew up bighorn hunting in Alberta. So that has a place in my heart too. And, and that sometimes is a little bit different. You can hunt them early, but you can also hunt them late. And so you might be hunting them later on in the season and they're all haired out and the snow is starting to fly and they're yeah. moving around. And then at that point it kind of becomes a little bit of a soft fest just to kind of exist. And then you sort of think about it for a second and go, okay, it's like, it's like end of October and I'll, I'll go and tag along on hunts with my brother, things like that. And I'm like, wow, I'm really cold and this is really hard. And then you kind of think they're going to live like that for November, December, January, February, March, April. May it can snow snow on them. June it can. I mean, yeah. they're gonna live like that for five more months, and they're not going into a wall tent. They're not going back to the truck. They're just there, and you're you kind of gain a ton of respect for for an animal like that. When you see them and realize how hard it is just to exist as a person with all this like great technical clothing and boots and backpacks, then even still, I mean, we're just soft, man. I mean, that's just the reality. Of it. <laughs> yeah. We're just soft. Top of hairless meat sacks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hear you on that. Yeah. I was watching a um, Joe Rogan podcast today. I forgot who he had on, but he's like, yeah, humans have just gotten so, so soft. Like, yeah. <laughs> you used to come from like, I don't know, like the monkey form where you had just like muscled up, ready to roll. And now it's just like, it's super soft now. Yeah. It's 100% true. And, even the, you wind the clock back 150 years and think about people that were doing the same stuff yeah. in crappy gear, whatever, buffalo skins, yeah. <laughs> whatever they had. And, uh, I mean, can you imagine just how hard that would be or even just killing an animal with a stick, mm. a spear or a bow and then having to deal with it with a kind of semi sharp rock. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be insane. It's wild, wild, right? Yeah. And then, like, even when you're hunting in the summer and you have to, like, keep that meat cool or whatever you do with it on how they had to figure that out, it's just insane. Yeah, 100%. And it's cool, too, that I think hunting is is, gives you a tiny little taste of that. Yeah. Which is why I think people like to do it, myself included, is you sort of are going, okay, well, it's not quite the same. It's not life or death. But it does, you do feel... A play line says like going like full feral. Like you're kind of feral for those moments, whether that's you know ten days out in the in the mountains, you get that little bit of a taste, and yeah, you come back and sort of a new perspective, and also appreciation for running water and a hot pizza and things like that that you didn't have, and then all your other shit seems a little bit easier. Like oh yeah, I mean, I got to I got to cook dinner, but like I can actually like just turn this button and flame comes out of this metal thing. That's really cool. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Or you press a dial and hot water comes out. That's pretty cool too. So I agree. I mean, and that's not hunting either, right? It's just any activities that you do with a little bit of a limited, you know, limited, uh, what you can bring is awesome. Like that's hunting, fishing, backpacking, rafting, um, climbing, skiing, all those things. It's just great. It's great for people because I think we're inundated by tons of stimulation and inputs and having access to basically everything. And it's good to kind of have that be, Hey, you got, we got your backpack and the way you go. It's it's really, really good. So hunting does that. And, uh, I know I'm not alone when I say that it's, I think it's good. It's good for the human, the humans that do it. Absolutely. I mean, we love to like go stay in the BLM lands and camp out there. And it's just like such a cool environment camp over the, (laughs) Or like cook over the campfire, all that kind of stuff. Just like a whole different vibe. And that's it's best. great. And like I wanna can't wait till I can get my tags to go up in the mountains to go hunt up there and kind of experience all that. And but that's like the closest I've been to getting in the mountains. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. It's it's a cool thing now is you can learn so much. You can you can make a lot less mistakes that we would have made early on i mean before there was this flow of information with the internet and just just such good education about gear and hunting know-how and just even just dude even just archery equipment i mean (laughs) the little i was just telling someone the other day i mean i'm not that old i'm only 33 but when we were hunting cheap as kids there was no such thing as angle compensating rangefinders and we had the little, like, well, I wasn't little. It was like a huge Bushnell, like, thing. And then you held up an inclinometer and measured the slope and then had a little, you know, um, cut chart or whatever taped on the back of it. You could put it here. You could put it on your side of your rangefinder. Oh, wow. And look at it. And then the animal's, like, getting away. And like, <laughs> range it again. Look at it again. And the air, I mean, the equipment was so slow. I don't know if you're an archery hunter, but it was so slow. Yeah. You're not shooting flat enough arrows that you have to actually know the distance and anyways, all those mistakes and things of that nature, you just, now you could actually just probably Google how to, how to mountain hunt with a bow. And they'd be like, make sure you have an angle compensated rangefinder. Make sure you have your third axis level. Make sure you practice shooting on a slope and then make sure you're talking about gearless and backpacking and boots and all these things that are just, dude, we just took peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and grabbed our shit and went out there and, figured it out and we just in some ways suffered a lot in some ways didn't know any better and now it's really cool that's one of my favorite things too is like try to make a point every year is like getting somebody involved in in that type of hunting one way or another whether it's just maybe offering a bit of advice or actually taking someone i try to do that like every year because i think it's really cool to see that uh this that's awesome new people kids men women old young can get into it at a at any point and it can be not so intimidating so it's i think it's important too i mean bc is the only place i don't know i'm maybe i'm maybe a factor from this but i was talking to a biologist this morning and he said yeah like bc is one of the only places where hunting numbers are actually up over the last 10 years i'm like wow that's cool that's cool to see and it's of course there's a level of 
well, I don't want them to hunt in my spot. And yeah, that's true to some extent, but the reality is the more people that hunt, the more people care about the resource, the more people will stand up for it, put their money behind it and yeah. educate the people around them that hunting is like probably not what you thought it was. It's this bigger, deeper, richer thing that people do for many different reasons. And you should, if you're not into hunting, that's totally cool, but you should at least be open-minded to, yeah, yeah, open-minded to it. So, um, right. It's great to be a part of this tiny little movement that's now it's, it's continuing to grow. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, I try to get into waterfall hunting. I mean, and when they do it, it's like they're hooked right after that. And it's just the coolest thing. What do you think? What's that moment like? I mean, what hooks them? Is it? It's like they love the setup and everything. And, but once they knock down their first duck or goose, they're like, oh my God, that was the wildest thing ever. And then they're like, I just want to keep going back out and keep going back out. And then it's like the whole experience are like, well, what can I do to help you over here? Set this up. What can I, how can I brush the blinds? Whatever it is. And that's cool. Yeah. So it's just part of the whole experience, but I'd say like what hits them is when they get that first shot off or whatever it is, that first group of ducks that like works in. That's like, cool. Yeah. You guys run dogs as well? Uh, yeah, we run dogs whenever we can. Um, I run my dog only on like certain hunts cause he's like 10 years old. And so cool. I don't want to run him too late in the year when it's freezing and yeah. run him in the ice or whatever. He, that's a young dog's game. So I let my buddies do that. And then we mainly field hunt and stuff like that. So it's pretty fun. Labs. Uh, I have a golden retriever actually. Cool. And Very then cool. my other buddies have like British labs. Cool. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. Have you ever done any waterfowl hunting up there? Not really. I mean, I know it can be really good in some places, but, uh, I know it's Saskatchewan and Southern Alberta. Yeah. But no, I just, I just did the bow hunting thing and that was such a big part of the fall and, yeah. Um, just didn't fall into it, but, um, yeah, so you got to pick your poison, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's one or the other. It's too hard to handle both. My wife would probably kill me out of that garage. A garage literally has 0% capacity. <laughs> so if you threw in 150 decoys, yeah. a couple shotguns. Oh yeah. Not happy. I'm gonna be sleeping. I'm gonna be sleeping in the yard. <laughs> oh, absolutely! And then if you got a trailer too, and all that kind of stuff for field hunting, then yeah, you're definitely sleeping in the yard. Dude, no kidding. I've seen those guys with like the snow geese set up. It's just insane, right? Oh yeah. I mean, we're like I hunted with a couple guys last year, like two thousand full bodies, and it's and like uh, plastic hard ones. Yeah. Holy man. Yeah, and it's just insane. Like that's so much money into a spread. Like, I mean, if you're like, if it costs 200 bucks for six full bodies and you have 2000 of them, it's like 30, 40,000, whatever it is. Crazy. Yeah. It's pretty insane. And the tra- trailers to haul it. Oh yeah. And then you have to have like three trailers for that. And wow. All the trailers are super spendy. And so, that, but yeah, it's it's a good time. I mean, I love waterfall hunting. I never really, I mean, I've whitetail hunting and stuff like that, but never anything out west. And I'm excited about when I have the opportunity to do that because that's the whole different vibe. Mm-hmm. 
Like, definitely something new. And groups of guys and yeah. gals and just having fun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, when I go out there, go get try to get, like, five guys to come with me or whatever and kind of help me scout and stuff like that. It's kind of the plan on what I wanted to do. And then cool. kind of just go from there. I mean, wicked. Yeah. Do you hunt like public land or private land up in BC? Yeah, tons of it's all crown land, so public land. Okay. Which is, um, yeah, fortunately, it's just where a lot of the mountain animals live. It's all, it's all, it's all public land, and like I said, in Canada, we call it crown land, but it'd be the same as national forest or something like yeah. that. And um, that's where the mountain animals live. Nobody owns it. I mean, it's it's part of being a citizen and. You have access to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can't think of very many private land hunts. That, I mean, I grew up hunting on the acreage that we grew up in Alberta for whitetails and stuff like that. Yeah. So that would be private land. But for them, besides that, yeah, it's all go and see what you can make of it. So, which yeah. is, which is pretty cool. I mean, we just live in, yeah, I mean, basically anecdotally, the population of Canada is about as 10th as much as the U S and yeah. We have more land and in BC we have tons of of mountainous terrain. So I mean you can do a hunt every year for the rest of your life and probably ten lifetimes and never do the same hunt twice. Oh never wow. hunt the same drainage or you know, they're just it's so vast. It's almost overwhelming because you you kind of going, I'd love to check that out. 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 Yeah. And uh you quickly realize you don't have a chance. And you're just scratching the surface. And then there's always a debate. I don't know how you are, but I'm always going, well, I hunted here and it was really cool. And I think if I went a little bit further, I could get to this spot. But then you're also going, well, I could just go somewhere completely different. Yeah. And and drop a pin and go and just learn a completely different area. So I always go back and forth on that. Like, you like having nostalgia and history and knowledge of a spot? Or do you like just going completely blind into a new spot and learning it and seeing some stuff and of course that comes with many many trips where you're just like cool good hiking trip <laughs> didn't see a whole lot but sometimes it works out and yeah. you get to see some cool stuff along the way no matter what oh yeah i love checking out new places just the curiosity in myself mm-hmm. is just like always trying to find somewhere new or find somewhere cooler to hunt or whatever that is new location i mean Mm -hmm. that's all it's about but like for sheep hunting how do you guys do like your scouting for that and like how do you kind of decide (laughs) (laughs) good question i mean it's so committing to get there and i'm talking the northern stuff yeah just like i mentioned the stone sheep so where we are in Kelowna, it would be basically anywhere from 18 to 22 hours of driving to get there and so it's so committing so you're basically Sure, if you lived up there, you could do some trips before the season and hike off the highway and check it out. Yeah. But the reality is you're kind of doing some scouting on maps and Google Earth and things like that, and then kind of just go. Yeah. And whatever you end up with is what you end up with. Um, it would be really cool to live up there and scout and learn stuff and but the reality is just, yeah, it's so committing to, to even be there. So um, you just go and yeah. figure out what you figure out. 
It's, and that's kind of the coolest part. I think there's, I was going to say, I read something. There's like some adventure gene, right? Where yeah. you have this, this human genome has like this thing that has to be scratched. And that's actually benefiting the human race because you're kind of going and looking for new hunting or fishing areas or places to forage or plant your crops as a, as our brains evolved so long ago. Yeah. And, you know, you can feel that when you're kind of getting those hair on the back of your neck experiences or you're like, wow, this is really cool. I want to just keep going one step after another. And so I think that's like been talked about a little bit and sort of in many different um, pursuits and whether that be hunting is one of them, but a lot of different other things that you can do outside and in the backcountry of the mountains. So it is like a, it is like a physiological like thing where it's, you have that gene and it's like being, yeah, with some complicated chemical processes, like you're, you're scratching the itch. Kind of what, what I think of it is like, you got the itch, yeah. you got to scratch it. You got to kind of see like, <laughs> What's over the next? Yeah, day? see how far you can go. Exactly. See how far you can go. Go to the next <laughs> next road. So, no, yeah. it's a lot of that, and with bow hunting too. I mean, it's a lot of like not expecting to kill something, not expecting to run into something, and just going. And I and I love that part of it too, because when you do kill something, it's like the hunt's over. Shoot. Yeah. Don't get to do this again until next year. So. Yeah. No, that's I, my excuse. That's my excuse for being like, you know, having a lot of low success type of hunts that uh, you just want to keep keep exploring. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I uh, kind of the same thing with waterfall hunting. I mean, once you finish up, like, think, well, it's eight o'clock. I usually hunt till like ten or eleven, so now we're just kind of yeah. done for the day. I'd ideally like to stay out here a little bit longer, but you gotta do what you gotta do. You guys are too good. Yeah. Oh yeah. I no, not like that. <laughs> but uh what would be in your circle of friends like the dream when you guys are talking about hunting out west or mountain hunting what's the is there a punch list or a dream scenario that you guys talk about? Yeah, I mean like for like big game hunting definitely like a big horn hunt out on the breaks would be dope. I mean going out with my buddy on his ranch and seeing just like that territory and the sheep mm-hmm. out there. I was like, that'd be really sweet. Um, and then for like waterfowl hunting, probably like Alaska and do like a sea duck hunt. That'd probably be the big thing. Don't do that, man. That, those, those dudes are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've talked to a few of them and they, yeah, they, uh, they're pretty insane for what they do all year round. Yeah. I tagged along on one in a couple years ago, a few years ago now, December, sea ice freezing around you, seven foot swells or bigger even. Yeah. Uh, short days, snowing, no visibility. And it was actually really cool. I mean, anytime yeah. you have people that are willing to do that, you know that there's something there. Yeah. And the sea duck. So I think they were, I mean, I'm not a waterfall guy, but they're hunting King Eiders and that a guy had um, a emperor goose permit that he drew. Mm. Yeah. 
which is just a beautiful goose that they yeah. kind of brought back from super low population and they're now back at a huntable population and it was pretty it was pretty damn cool it was cold man it was freaking cold yeah everything was freezing up nothing was working trailers are freezing up we got truck stuck uh some you know we couldn't even go out some days yeah like these are too these are blown up and you know there's no visibility yeah like wow cool <laughs> um were you at so very St. Paul Island. It's called Cold Bay. Cold Bay. Were you with, um, were you the guide service out there? Four flyways. Four flyways. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And there's a guy named Brandon. He's, he's, yeah, he drew that emperor permit and yeah, it was wild, dude. I'm like, holy crap. You guys are animals. Yeah. This is cold. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's a whole different ball game up there. Compared to what we yeah. do now. <laughs> and those places, I mean, you talk about that place is, it doesn't seem like it's changed much since World War II. Yeah. There's 30 people in the town. The woman that checked your bags at the airport also owned the bar. <laughs> and we went to the bar and it opened in December. We were there and it, open for the first time since Halloween she just opens it when people are in town because there's not a lot of people that go into town. Yeah. And we were sitting there and we might've bought around the fireball shots and her one, she's the bartender Yeah. at the bar that she owns. And we're, we're bullshitting with her and we're like, geez, aren't you the woman that was doing the baggage at the airport? She goes, yeah, yeah. And I own this bar and I'm also the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> she was, she was the mayor, the barkeep, the bar owner, and the bag of town. Like she probably had a few more jobs too. Oh yeah. That's insane. So it yeah. it was you just would never go there. Why would you ever go there in <laughs> December unless you were going on a hunting trip? And basically where they do the like that Dutch harbor, yeah. which is like that deadliest catch pit crazy crab stuff off the Aleutians. Yeah. Where they do that is sort of like one stop over basically the end of the world i mean yeah and we were out there and and uh you know you're standing there looking west and the next piece of land is banned <laughs> jeez that's and these guys are out there hunting we were put this decoy spread out and the guys were the ice was freezing around them oh my god i'll send you some pictures it's crazy yeah but we had fun yeah we had fun i can see how waterfowl go out you go hunting you come back tell stories you cook you, you know, you stay up late, you know, go do it, do it all again. You just, that's, that part was really cool that I appreciated. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I feel like there's definitely a piece to like big game hunting in the mountains too, of like, you guys go back to your tents or whatever and bullshit around and hang out like with the whitetail hunting, you just go in a tree stand and then you're leave back and that's all you do. And yeah, so like, yeah. I don't know. I feel like that kind of has a big game sense too. Is that just bullshitting, doing whatever, hanging out with your buddies? Yeah, absolutely. And you end up developing a pretty cool partnership. And your acceleration of a friendship or any relationship, basically, you spend 10 days with somebody and you know everything about them, you yeah. know, where they went to school, what their childhood is like, who they're involved with now, what they think about the world. You talk about movies and music and politics and religion and everything, right? And then yeah. you sort of have these friends sprinkled around the world. And I'm fortunate enough to have 
have a few of them and have done a lot of those trips. And you're, you know, Frankie, my wife will ask me, how do you know that guy? I'm like, oh, well, I just went on a hunt with him once in 2012. Yeah. But I actually don't know him at all. But I know him so, I mean, I know him so well. Yeah. Um, so that part is, is really, really cool. And anytime you're working in those challenging dynamic environments with another person and you're relying on each other to cook and carry water and maybe you're in some thick willows and you don't want to get eaten by a grizzly bear. So you're kind of helping each other out and yeah. packing stuff out, tough weather, all those sort of things. Like those relationships get, get forged like super, super strong. And um, yeah, I know that's like been a big part of my life and some of the closest friends and family that I have are either because of hunting or we've gone and done hunting trips in the mountains together. And it's pretty, it's pretty damn cool. So, um, yeah, there is that element of it. And there's also the element of solo hunting too, which is yeah. cruising around by yourself and learning a lot and making all the decisions. And there's a level of fulfillment with that too, which is just, Hey, I'm out here and, uh, no one's going to know if I quit or how hard it is or how easy it is. And that part's really, really cool. And encourage people to do that too. Cause I think that's uh, a cool, like self-reflective experience. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. Do you bring uh do you go on solo hunts a lot? I try to do like one a year. Yeah. Most of the stuff I'm doing is filming or photographing. So I'm usually with somebody who's hunting or maybe I'm doing a video project and getting to hunt for myself. And so it's quite rare, but uh I do like to just try to squeak out one way or another. Um because it's it, it's it's important too. I think to, to do that every now and then, I guess, I don't know if I even got, I only got a couple of days last year, but the year before I did a good one and the year before that I did a good one too. But I do, I, if it was up to me, I would choose to go along because I do like to go with like my brother and my wife, a few different buddies. And, uh, yeah. but, but yeah, I think it, it's nice to do it. It's nice to do it a little bit. Yeah. Just go be out there in the silence and just go explore. 100%. You feel good. I mean, you feel good. No matter what happens, you're just like, hey, I can yeah. do this. Oh, I hear I'm you. Su- I'm surviving out here. This isn't so bad. <laughs> and when you and there's, like, when you do do the solo hunts, how long are you out there for? Oh, I don't know. A week or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Probably not too, too much longer, but um, yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a fat minute out there by yourself. A little bit, yeah. You kind of are going talking to yourself. <laughs> and it's good to be out of service too, right? Because you can't really I mean you have a little satellite texting yeah. devices now, but it's sort of like ideally you're just kind of soaking it up and being fully engaged or I mean, I listen to lots of books on tape or yeah. you know, write or read and, and things like that. And that part's really fun too. Take photos, obviously. It's kind of yeah. do that all the time so yeah it's cool it's really cool yeah that's awesome dude well yeah i don't want to take too much more of your time i know uh your cutoffs right about here so adam thank you so much for jumping on dude no problem did we solve any of the world's problems no i hope we did i think i think we covered them <laughs> i appreciate being on i had tons of fun he laughed at most of my jokes yeah they were they were funny <laughs> what can i say <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I wish you the best of luck for wherever the next adventure takes you, man. Just keep going. And it's going to be Montana and it's going to be, 
Yeah. Hopefully full of hopefully full of big brown trout. Hopefully. That's the plan. Hey buddy. All Thanks right. for having me on. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Cool. Bye.